welcome to the You on the Camino podcast for and about first-time pilgrims on the Camino de Santiago in Spain with your host, guide, and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. A quick comment or two before we get to this week's conversation with Pilgrim Kathy. You may notice that there are some sound issues in this episode, and the editing may not be as clean as usual. I think Zoom was having a cranky day when we did the recording in early September in the United States. Then I did all the editing while in Spain along the Camino in some definitely not quiet places. So I may have missed some editing opportunities. I'm also recording this intro and also the ending of this episode in Spain. So please bear with me and any background noise or sound issues you may hear. I think you will really enjoy getting to know Kathy and hearing about her Camino plans, fears, and intentions. I know I did. Here we go. Hi, everyone. This is Nancy with the You on the Camino podcast. I am so happy to be here today with Kathy coming to us from Waterford, Michigan. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. And you are three hours ahead of me because I'm in California. So how interesting this time thing that Zoom can solve that problem with no no issues at all. Yeah, what did we do before Zoom? <laughs> I do wonder. Well, Kathy, we're here to talk about your Camino, your pilgrimage, and your plans for walking to Santiago. And so I was wondering if you would start us out by sharing with us your plans. And that would be what route you're going to walk and where you're going to start and when you're going to walk the Camino. Okay. Well, I'm planning on starting next June. So June 2023. Um, the very beginning of the month, I don't have a specific date yet. So I'm waiting for airfares and actually my life to settle down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing the um, Northern Way. And I chose that because, oh, for a lot of reasons, because it is the first one that I knew about 20 some odd years ago when I first heard about the Camino. And it is from what I hear, one of the most beautiful and one of the most challenging. And I'm really, I'm looking for that. So. For both beautiful and challenging. Beautiful and challenging. Hmm. Would you say more about that, about the challenging part? I like to, I love to hike. Hiking is my passion. And I know that when I physically challenge my body, that mentally and emotionally things clear out being out in nature and hiking has always been something that has helped me center and it's something that I've turned to ever since I was a child when things were too emotional or things were going awry Uh, when my mother passed away my solace was going to the ocean sitting in listening to the waves crash and watching the foam and the birds and the bubbles and just smelling the salt air. And then when I moved to Michigan, just finding the woods and 
going outside smelling the fresh earth you know the rain i love the smell of the rain but that is something that just i've learned helps me center and when my mind is chaos and when my emotions are running amok if i can just get my feet out on a trail and smell the pines and feel the breeze it centers me it just washes everything away and lets me think clearly so that's what the challenge is about. I think that while I'm hiking and challenging my body, my mind will open. Mm. I love that. And I'm thinking about what you said about going from having the ocean to going to the mountains of Michigan. That must have been another form of loss to lose the ocean. I'm a California girl. So the ocean for me is my, is my heart and soul. Were the mountains enough for you when you when you had to leave the ocean? Well, and Michigan really doesn't have mountains per se, but they have <laughs> it has a lot more woods and a lot more trees. But when I lived in um, New Jersey on the ocean, we would go to the Poconos a lot when I was a child. So there was mountains there, the Catskills. So mountains were always something that I, I don't know, just vibed with. But I could, as a child, without a car, I could get to the ocean on foot. <laughs> uh, gotcha, gotcha. So it wasn't, it wasn't hard. I, I love anything nature. Oh, yeah. So the, the Norte route then, the Camino del Norte, is along the coast. And then it cuts down at some point and joins, I think it joins the Camino Frances route. So you're picking a route that has everything. It's got the ocean, it's got the nature, it's got mountains, it's got trees. It sounds wonderful. I'm very much looking forward to it. Just the descriptions of the small towns and the terrain, it just seems like there's so much diversity. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, how much time do you plan to spend walking the trail? I am planning on 40 days for the... Camino, but I'm also going to add at the end another five days because I do want to do the, I never say it right, Finisterre, to go to the end of the world. Yeah, there there are two ways to say that, and, and it's sort of a close enough situation. So there's Fistera and Finistere, and one of them is Spanish and one is Galician, and I, I always mix up which is which, but I say Fistera because it's so much easier. Okay. Yes. And that's that's another 90 kilometers, which is what's lovely is back in 2005 when I walked the first time, you had to do it in three days because there weren't accommodations any closer together than 30 kilometers. And now there are accommodations all along the way. So you can break that into five days or six days if you want to. Well, I'm hoping my husband will join me at the end and walk that last bit with me. That'd be wonderful. Oh, it sounds so good. Have you picked your starting point? No, I am going back and forth. And my pronunciation of all of these cities is terrible, but either I run, I run, or- Irun, I think. Irun, I don't know. I need to learn all of these so I don't (laughs) sound completely ignorant when I go there. It's okay. But that's one of my biggest fears is just the language barrier. I do not obviously speak 
Spanish at all. So I need to learn. My thoughts on learning the language is it, it just gives you a better connection to your host country. And it gives you more of an experience of being engaged and involved with them. But I have noticed that just knowing some basics is usually enough. The basics of hello, good day, hola, buenos dias, which is how they start every conversation. And I've also noticed that the people who serve the pilgrims speak what I call travel English. So they have some basic words in English that allow us to transact. So I've got the three words of Spanish and they've got the three words of English and together we make it work out. And the really good news is they already know what you want. They know you want a bed, something to eat or something to drink. So it gets, <laughs> it gets fairly easy at that point. Well, that's good. I, I, when I travel abroad, I do try to learn all the pleasant, like the pleasantries and the poems yeah. and the basics. Yeah. Yeah. The neat thing about Spain, and I think France is the same, is the interaction with a customer, what we would call in the US customer service, is not about customer service, it's about the relationship. And so to walk into a place and not say buenos dias or bonjour is considered rude. It's considered a very strange way to enter a room. And in Spain, they even say goodbye to the room. They'll say hasta luego or a luego and to shorten it when they leave the, to the room. It's not even just to one person or the barkeep, it's to the room. It's really very sweet to me. I think basically there's more politeness and good manners. Yeah. Outside I think, I think, I think it's because of the real, it's, it's about the relationship rather than the transaction. I agree. I love it. Okay, so you've got 40 days plus five days to go to the coast, and you're starting in either Irún or San Sebastián. Do you know much about San Sebastián? I, all I know is I definitely want to spend more than one day there because it just seems like it's thriving and lively. And I want, to, I want this experience to be whatever it actually is, but I just I don't want to rush and skip something I want to give myself enough time to really just immerse myself and experience whatever it has to offer what a gorgeous way to approach it everything happens for a reason Nancy and in my life I have I have learned that I plan to do I wanted to do this 20 years ago and never had the opportunity I never had the permission I never had the I don't know belief in myself Mm. do it and I was going to do it I wanted to end my 59th year and start my 60th birthday you know ending my Camino and thank you COVID that didn't happen mm. but I would have had to jam-pack everything into just a few weeks now I can take the time I need because when I leave work where I work right now we don't have enough time they only let you have two weeks at a time, which is simply not enough. So mm -hmm. I'm using that as my exit from the workforce and celebration of my retirement. Well, that's a great plan. <laughs> they don't know this yet. <laughs> Your secret is safe with me. 
<laughs> That's a great plan. And I just, I wonder how many people and specifically how many Americans are itching to do just that very thing, to, to go walk the Camino as part of their exit from wor the working world or the corporate world. I think you said you've spent some time in the corporate world as well and have done somewhat of an exit before. So this is not the first exit that you're doing. No, absolutely not. I Four years ago, I was in a situation and I've always worked and worked hard and been recognized for my work ethic and managed to climb the corporate ladder. But it got to the point where I was looking at it and like, I'm killing my body. They really don't care about me as mm -hmm. a human being. And what they're doing is dangerous for other people. They're not, I can't support a poor work environment. You know, they were putting their employees in dangerous situations and lying and changing manifests and, you know, just to cover themselves, just to make an extra dollar. And I just couldn't support that anymore. I just couldn't be part of that culture. So I was telling my son, who at the same time was 30 and hated his job and hated his living situation. And I said, darn it, <laughs> Ryan, here's this great website I just fell upon. It has all these jobs in national parks. Go do this. It's my one regret in my life that I didn't travel. I didn't explore. I didn't do these things, but I didn't have all these, you know, responsibilities and obligations. And of course he didn't do it, but my then husband or my then um, fiance, current husband looked at me and he went, well, it's your one regret that you didn't travel, that you didn't do this, you didn't experience, you know, he said, I think you need to look at that website and find something and, you know, basically just go and do everything you just told your son to do. And I did. I found a job and I went out and I worked for Yellowstone and it was supposed to be for six weeks and it turned out being six months and then six months turned into about a year and a half. Any so, regrets? That I didn't do it sooner. Yes, that's what, I, that's what we come to. <laughs> I found myself out there for the first time in my entire life. I had been on my own with no responsibilities in a place where no one knew me and had no expectations of who I was. So I was able to just really find out who Kathy was. And I get teary just talking about it because I feel like I was reborn. And yeah. I can't stop smiling. Oh. I mean, my face, I'm going to have to do a little massage to get my face to stop smiling. This makes me so oh. happy. And these are happy tears. I'm just like... I <laughs> Yeah, so I and I swear I would never lose that person. <sighs> and I got back here and I started losing it again. And it's like, mm. nope, I'm done. Mm -mm. I'm done, done, done. I'm hoping the Camino is going to give me another layer of that experience and a deeper understanding of who I am. Kathy, what you just described is what is how many people describe the Camino and their experience on the Camino. I think you're setting yourself up for a really profound experience. You've already got the foundation 
And you've already got a taste of that freedom and that experience. And I think it's you're going to own it by the time you're done with the Camino. It will, you'll have it. That is my hope. That's what's available. And that's wow. everything I've read. And everyone's experience is different. And I don't want to base my experience on anybody else's because I, I think if you went and did the exact same thing twice, it still would be a different experience. Absolutely. So, yeah, I just, I'm looking forward to be out, being able to share my profound experience and, and just hope that I can inspire one person to be brave enough to go and do it. I have a feeling that there might be some people listening to this podcast who you'll be inspiring. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I'm going to ask you now to imagine yourself at your starting point, whether that's Irun or San Sebastian, we can't actually you know, picture the place, but imagine you're at the beginning of your walk. You've gotten yourself to your starting point got your backpack all loaded up, you're in your hiking boots, and you're about to take your first steps on your Camino journey. What are you thinking and feeling and what kind of expectations are rolling around right now? Well, I think a little bit of terror, a little bit of amazement, and just a sense of awe and wonder almost like the feeling I get when I watch a small child see something for the first time, you know, just that wonder and interest and just like a genuine wanting to learn and wanting to experience. And it's like Christmas and Santa Claus. I, I see myself just filled with anticipation and excitement and just wanting to be open to experience everything, whatever it is, whether it's pouring down rain or I get blisters or, or I get lost, which I will get lost. Mark my word. I don't care how many little shell medallions there are. I will get lost. You're that person. I am that person. It just adds to the experience. My theory is if you get lost, you see more stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And meet more people. And you're really not lost because you know where you are. You're just temporarily not on the path you planned. Exactly. Exactly. That is the way to see it. That's so good. Wow. And your first word was terror. Can you talk a little bit more about what, what the fear factor is of walking your first Camino? Well, I have been really good all of my life at supporting other people. I am very good at defending other people and helping other people find their way and find their strength and their path. I've always been a good support person for everyone except me. So I don't have that bravery when it comes to doing things for myself. So just the fear of being alone. I think if I was there and I was leading the group, I would have so much confidence because I want them to 
be comfortable and I'd want people to be safe and I would be able to project that. And then I kind of feel that bravery when I'm taking care of other people. But if it's just me, it's like, what am I doing? I know I can take care of myself and I know my body is strong and I know that I could never be so lost. I couldn't be found. I mean, maybe, but probably not. (laughs) It's just the, I have a hard time being brave for myself. So that's where the terror comes in. Okay. Okay. See, that alone is courageous to be able to say that. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you will, because that's, I think that that probably is something that a lot of people experience and we don't talk about it very much, especially people who do care for others and do have a lifetime of putting their own needs and wants in second position. And I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with that. It's been a matter of prioritizing. And this is a time in your life when you are going to prioritize you you're going to move you to number one position and take yourself out on this journey. My hat's off to you. Well, I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to jump us to the end of the trail then and ask you to imagine you're in Santiago and now you've finished this walk. Who are you now? What's next? What's going on? What are you thinking or expecting or feeling well and and it's funny because i have where i don't know what i want to do in the beginning i have the end plans i do want to get there at the end of the day i would like to be in a spot where i can be just quiet and without crowds so i can just reflect on everything that I've done, everything that I've experienced and just have some peace. I know I will be crying. I know I will be proud. I know I will be so tired and I will get a hotel room that night and eat a nice hot meal and take a bath. Perfect. But what's next is just, I don't, I don't know. I want to celebrate the person that I've become and Mm. I want to continue to grow and learn and share. I would love to go back and be a volunteer at one of the albergues. Our mutual friend, Lori Mm -hmm. has inspired me to do that. I just think it would be a wonderful way to give back and experience the Camino in a different way. So I would like to do that in my future. And then when I come home, I will be a full-time artist and just do that. How wonderful. I want to talk about your art, but first I want to mention when you talk about being a volunteer at one of the albergues, one of the requirements to be a volunteer at the albergues, they're called hospitaleras, if you're a woman, or hospitalero if you're a man. One of the requirements for many of them is that you've walked the Camino. And so anybody who's walked the Camino can then go get the training to become an hospitalera. And that is an amazing way to give back. And what I noticed on my recent walk, I didn't stay in albergues, I stayed in private rooms. And what was missing 
was the hospitality because so many of the albergues are staffed by volunteers who have walked the Camino and know what you're going through. And that role is so critical to have somebody who can see you when you walk in and know what you're going through, the inner, the outer, all of it. It's remarkable what the hospitaleras provide to the pilgrims. I can only imagine. And looking forward to it's it's something that when I think about walking the Camino gives me such comfort, just knowing that every place I stop, I will have someone that understands and can give me some guidance as far as where to go, what to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other role the Hospitaleras play is that they know their town or village really well. And some of them are hosted by volunteers like I've just, just described. Some of them are privately owned. So they're not volunteers. They're not people who have walked, but they're people who are native or local to the town or community where you're staying. And so they know everything. They know what's next. They know where the next albergue is and they know the phone number and they can call and help you with your reservations if you want them. They can tell you where's the, the church, the mass, the shop, the post office, the quiet place, where's the stream, where's the bench. Yeah, so they know their, they know their locations. That's awesome. It's so important. So helpful. Yeah, yeah. And it just makes such a difference. One of the places I stayed in the spring, I actually was checked in by a machine. <laughs> it's this modern hotel thing where you, you know, you punch in your something and it beeps and you do something and it gives you a key. And I thought, I feel so cheated. Where's the human? I need someone to tell me I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> modern technology just it, that it may be convenient, but it's very impersonal. It is. It is. And I think the Camino gives us that person-to-person contact that we've been longing for. And we have some of it in our lives. We all have some of it. But there's that connection back to ourselves and then how that mirrors back out in this environment. There's something magical about it. Everything that I've read, I've watched some YouTube videos, I've read a lot, but everything just points to the camaraderie and the support and the community of the pilgrims. Mm. And I'm just very much looking forward to experiencing that. It's something that when I was in Yellowstone, because I was in a very small town, the sense of community and the bonding and the support was magical. And that was a word I used a lot describing my experience in Yellowstone. It was just Everything about it was magical. Mm. Looking forward to that. It brings up a question for me of what does each individual pilgrim bring to make the magic happen? Is it the Camino Trail or is it the people or what, what do, what's our role in the magic? Well, I think it's a combination of the Camino, the history, the, the walk putting yourself through the physical aspects of it. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more so the mindset and whether you're going as a religious pilgrimage or a self-discovery experience or just an accomplishment, it's all centered around the same thing. We're all looking for something. We're all seeking something more than and to connect to something 
bigger than ourselves. And I think that's, to me, not having stepped one foot on it, but that to me is what bonds everyone. And that when people come together like that, that's where magic happens. When people are open to experiences and sharing and seeing people just as another human being and not as a label or a pigeonhole. I mean, we're all pilgrims. We're all in search of. Mm. If I didn't know you hadn't walked yet, I would swear that you had. Maybe in another life I have. Well, it sounds like you've, you've been maybe interacting with life at a certain level for a while, you know, in, in a conscious way and in looking for the good and looking for the connections. And we tend to find what we look for. This is true. We attract what we, what we uh, put out there. So Yeah. Kathy, would you share with me a little bit about your planning and preparing process? What kind of things are you doing to get ready and to get your plans in place? Well, I've, I started reading. Um, what started me on this whole journey is that I read the book by Shirley MacLaine 20 years ago and decided, by God, I can do this too. And mm. I want to, and it just sounded like such a profound experience. And I was searching for that. I knew something was missing and I just wanted it. So a lot of reading, I've read a lot of different blogs. I've read some posting on Facebook. I'm trying to be very cautious to not go into like I don't want to follow one person or one group or read one book. I'm trying to get a very diverse base for all of my knowledge because everybody's experience is going to be different. And what what works for you may not work for me as far as trying to pack light and people recommending different hiking poles or hiking boots. I, I take it all under advisement. So that's my preparation. Physically, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. And um, hiking, I love to hike. I love to hike. So the physical preparation is super easy for me because it's something that I want to be doing all the time. Outside of that, giving myself permission to do it has been the biggest thing and convincing myself that I deserve this. I, I know I'm capable. I just need to convince myself that I am allowed to. So that's my big preparation. <laughs> it's just a lot of research and trial and error as far as what hiking boots feel comfortable, what poles feel comfortable. Two years ago, if I had done this, I would have been carrying a 65 liter backpack because that's what I had. And I thought, oh, you know, that's okay. I don't have to fill it. I know me. And if I don't fill it going over by the time I'm done, it will be filled with things. Oh my goodness. You're, yeah, that won't work at all. I mean, it, it, you could do it, but it is certainly less enjoyable to carry more weight. One of the things I've noticed in talking to pilgrims for this podcast is that everybody brings what I call a superpower, a real strength or a real skill set to getting themselves ready for the Camino. What would you say is your superpower that you could use 
in the planning and preparation for the Camino? I think my superpower, well, I don't know. Okay. So I journal a lot (laughs) and I get my feelings out and in writing, I unravel a lot of things and discover what's really important. The beginning of the year, I told myself that I was going to be my own superhero this year. So my superpower has always been making sure everybody around me is okay. This year, it's making sure I'm okay and making sure that I'm supported by myself. So that is how I'm going to get through. I have always landed on my feet no matter what life has thrown at me. When my plans fall through, there's always something better in the end. I mean, my life hasn't been anything like I thought it would be. There was no white picket fence. There was, you know, I thought, oh, Mary, my high school sweetheart, we're going to be married for the rest of our lives. And no, that didn't happen either. Mm, yeah. But this is going to happen because I'm, I'm turning my super power of support to myself. Right on. Right on. It's almost like I want to put a mirror right in front of you at all times so you can superpower, boomerang your superpower right back at yourself. That's really funny that you say that because one of my things every morning I do, I have a gratitude and uh, morning ritual, but one of them in the mirror, I tell myself I'm deserving of everything I want. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. Funny that you said the mirror. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. You are. You are. Hmm. I would love to talk with you closer to the date that you start walking. If you'd be willing, we could do a follow-up discussion. And then probably after you get finished, I'd love to talk to you again. Oh, I would love that. That would be wonderful, but I'm not, I'm not done yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Let me ask you, do you have any unanswered questions or things you're not sure about or planning questions that I can help you with? Well, which, which of those two cities would be better to start? Oh, okay. So I will answer that first by saying I've never been to Irun. So I can't give any personal recommendation on Irun. The way that I would answer that question would be to look at the ground transportation options to get to it. So San Sebastian is fairly well connected by, by bus. I'm not sure if there's a train connection, but it's very easy to get there from Pamplona, for example. Irun, I'm not sure about. So that would be my first question is how easy is it to get to the starting point? And then the other thing, the other question I would ask is, what's in Irun that makes it the start? Is there a pilgrim's office? Is there a history of pilgrims crossing into France and being in Irun and going, woohoo, we're in Irun and we're going to walk. What is it about Irun that makes it the starting point? And when you read about that or watch videos about it, does that pull on your heart? Is there something that says, I'm going there. I am totally going there. San Sebastian, on the other hand, is just gorgeous. It's this beautiful, vibrant Basque city from in the Basque country. And it has an old quarter with these streets that are just filled with pinchos bar. And pinchos are like tapas, those little small bites where you 
go and you get two or three of them with your drink and then you move on to the next bar and you get two or three of them with your drink. And it's a very social and very fun environment. And it's got this beautiful bay that you can walk along and walk around. It's really lovely. And I, I remember the friend I met there went to some spa. So there's, you know, there's some other things if you'd like to start out in pre-care for your body and get a little spa day or something. So those might be some considerations that I would look at. Okay. And it's funny, San Sebastian is like, as soon as I saw the city and the old streets, like, oh, I have to do this. I have to go. Well, and even if you start in Irun, you will go through San Sebastian. And then the question is, do you just want to take an extra day there to really enjoy it? So it depends also on what would feel like a beginning to you. Would the place that the guidebook says is the start feel the best to you as a beginning? Okay. Or if it doesn't doesn't matter, flip a coin. Okay. Um, another question. So as far as weight goes with your backpack, I know I've heard that the ultralight is like 10% of your body weight. Okay. Hold on, let's clarify that. I call it 10% of my ideal body weight. Because <laughs> I have this 20-pound mood swing. Yeah, when I do that math, it's 10% of my ideal body weight. So I think for a woman, that's probably 13 to 14 pounds. Okay. That just seems so... I mean, I've got my clothes pared down to not a lot. I have hiking pants. I have hiking shorts and I have a pair of like leggings and then a tank top and a long sleeve top. That's about it. And a toothbrush and a toothpaste. Yep. How easy is it? I guess I should ask to find things like toothpaste and sunscreen and band-aids and cold medicine if you need it. It's a really good question. And once you get to Spain, you'll go, oh, oh, yeah, that's easy. There's pharmacies in Spain are different from pharmacies in the US. They're called Pharmacia. And they're, it's almost like Starbucks on every corner. Every city will have a number of pharmacies. And most of the smaller towns will have a pharmacy. And the pharmacy takes care of all of those health and body-related things. So they'll sell Band-Aids and they'll sell cough medicine and cough drops and heartburn medicine and you know everything that you might need, you can pick up pretty easily. And every city and town has supermarkets and the supermarkets sell the bar soap and the shampoo and the conditioner and lotions and sunscreen and and everything else. And then there's another class of shop that's called Drogoria, which I love. It's a drugstore, Drogoria. And they'll sell many of those items as well. And they're in the large they're in all the cities. So I believe the Norte goes through after San Sebastian, you'll go through Bilbao and Santander. Those will both certainly have full service everything's. And then the smaller towns will probably have a pharmacy. What I love about the apps that you can use for the Camino is now they tell you which towns and villages have a pharmacy, which ones have a supermarket, which ones have an ATM, 
So if you use the app, you can find all those services. The other thing I would say about that is what all of those items that you just described and really anything that the locals use, you can count on being able to find along the Camino because the local people need it too. It's the same as with food. When I think about, oh, where am I going to find food? Well, I'll go where the locals go because they go to the supermarket. So I know I can always go to a supermarket and get food. And I know that the bars serve food because bars in Spain are not like bars in the U.S. They are the community center where you get your, where you meet your friends and you have a drink and you have a snack and they serve meals and there's Wi-Fi and toilets and all of that. So if you think like a local and follow their rhythms and their patterns, you'll be able to find everything that you need. Awesome. Yeah. I hear, I have heard recently stories about restaurants refusing pilgrims, saying that they're complete, you know, they're full, um, yeah. especially female, single, like single females. Is that a thing? And is there a way to, I mean, is the best thing to do just to like maybe eat lunch at a bar and then avoid the restaurants at night? I've read some of those stories too. And some of the ones I've read, I'm a little bewildered by. And a couple of them, I'm like, oh yeah, there was one recently on Facebook where they were talking about a town on the Camino Frances route called Nahara. And I remember being there in the spring and having a distinctly difficult time to find food. The thing about Spain is their hours for their kitchens in the bars and restaurants, the hours are very rigid. And if the kitchen is not open, there is no food available because there's no one there to prepare it and serve it. And so the number one trick is to learn the rhythm, again, the rhythm of the Spanish day. The Spanish eat lunch from 1.30 to 4 or 1.30 to 3.30. It's roughly a two-hour window in the afternoon. And I can't believe I didn't know this before this most recent trip, but I learned eat the big meal between 1.30 and 3.30. And so that means on a walking day, I could walk into town maybe around 1 or 2, have time for a quick shower, and then go to the restaurant at 3 o'clock and get a meal. And that would be my big meal for the day. And then in the evening time, maybe around six or seven, I would go and have a drink and a tapa or a pincho, and that would just stave off hunger until the morning. But my calories were right in the middle of the day. Now, I am a little troubled by the stories of people being refused, and I'm just going to hope that we don't have the whole story and that there's something else that happened or something was said or not said. But the other thing that, that happens is restaurants will take reservations and their reservations, they might open at 1.30 and the reservation comes at 2.30. They won't seat that table until 2.30 when the reservation comes. Or if it's in the evening, if the reservation's for nine and you want to eat at eight, you might they might not give you the table because it is truly reserved and they're only going to seat it once in the evening or once at lunchtime. Whereas in the US, our culture is to turn the tables as much as possible because that way we get more business and the waiters get more tips. But the servers in Spain make a living wage and don't live on tips. And so the whole structure of it is different than what we're used to. 
I know when I went to Italy, it was the same way. And it was lovely because they don't, they're not rushing you. They, you have time to actually enjoy the meal and yeah. rush in between courses and have a conversation. And yeah. it, was an, it was an experience. The, the meal was an experience. It wasn't yeah. hurry up, get in and want to turn off, you know, get the next set of people in so I can make them. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that the thing to do, uh, if you run into something like that, would be to go and talk to your host and say, you know, hey, and Google, uh, Google Translate, Google Conversation, if you have that on your smartphone, is a genius tool because you can, you can talk into it and it will translate it and the other person can either listen or read the translation. So you can tell them what happened and have them explain to you what may, have, may be going on and help you with a resolution. And so then they may be able, maybe in these small towns, they probably know the restaurant and they can call them up and go, I'm sending two pilgrims, feed them, you know, or whatever, whatever it is. And again, it's to go back to our American idea of customer service and our American idea of how restaurants run is just different. And so there's a learning curve. There's definitely a learning curve. And my trick is always to walk in and say, hola, buenos tardes. Hello, good afternoon. Is there food in Spanish? I, I say na. Is there a dinner? Is there com I comida? Is there food? And then we'll figure out what he says back, you know, because I can't always tell. And add to it, I'm a vegetarian. So try to get, yeah, we've got food. Here's a plate of ham. Yeah. So it, it's really a learning curve and not for nothing, but the Camino del Norte covers more than eight, about 800 kilometers. And so when you start in the Basque country, that's going to be one experience, probably focused on going into the Pinchos bars and eating, you know, pointing to what you want on what's displayed. There either are, are Pinchos or there aren't. And if there are, you point and they give them to you. As you move along the trail, you'll be passing through other places that might just have different ways of doing things. It's a 500-mile route that's going to have some variations in the opening times and the meal-serving times and all of that. So it's part of getting to know the culture and being gracious as a guest in that country and then getting help when you need it. I think for some people, that could be the problem is a little bit of a lack of grace. Because be. unfortunately, a lot of Americans, and probably not so much the pilgrims that go to walk the Camino, but a lot of Americans just in general, traveling abroad, they just have this sense of entitlement that does not bode well for service. And I like to put myself in the other person's shoes as well sometimes when I'm not tired and hungry, because when I'm tired and hungry, I can't always do it. But if you think about it, They've been serving pilgrims now since Easter, and they've had thousands of pilgrims coming through, some graciously requesting services and some demanding service in English. And at some point, they might get a little tired of that and might lose patience or lose their willingness to serve. And, you know, we're human. I get frustrated with that kind of stuff, too. But that's where, to your point earlier, walking in, saying a greeting in their language. And what I found in Italy 
is if I was attempting, if I was being polite and attempting the language, they were so much more willing to help. Yes. Yes. The other thing that goes on in Spanish bars and restaurants is you might walk in and the front part is the bar, but then there's a dining room that you can't see that might be either behind closed doors or upstairs or downstairs even. And that bar person is fixing drinks for everybody in a dining room that you can't see. So he or she is running like mad. And then you come in, not you personally, but a pilgrim comes in and demands something. And they're like, get in line, honey, get in line, because I got 40 people in there who want drinks. You know, so I think if we just kind of assume that we don't have the whole picture and then just learn to be gracious and roll with it. I agree. Yeah. I just thought of a trick that I could try, but then I realized I've tried it and it doesn't work. I thought, well, go in and order a drink and sit for a minute and then wait and order something, you know, ask if there's food after I've politely ordered a drink. But oftentimes the person behind the bar has already moved on to the next 12 people who are coming in the door and they're not coming back to you because they assumed that was all you wanted. So observation is a really good tool to watch and see how it's happening and how things are moving and what's, what's going on. But yeah, when you're hungry, it's less likely that we're going to be successful. So I think a good goal is to prevent getting to that stage where you can't think straight because you're so hungry. So I keep snacks. So I might just have a handful of almonds before I try to go get dinner you know, or something, something, little bag of chips or something so that I'm not, not angry. Yeah. I don't like to use that word because I don't like to be that. But. No, I don't like to be that either, but yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to think if I have any other questions. The only thing going back to being able to find groceries and medications and mandates, if there was a medical, oops, how do I am assuming most of the larger towns have some sort of medical facility? How does that all work though? Because if I find out and I know and I'm armed with that information, it will not happen to me. It's like carrying an umbrella and it doesn't rain. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or wash the car and it does. That's a great question. And I mercifully have never had, well, not never. I only had to engage medical services on my very first Camino walk. And the way that we find medical help, the number one trick is to go to the hospitalera, the place where you're staying and ask for help and say, this is my problem. This is what's happening. How do I get help? And there are clinics and there are hospitals in all of the cities. There are medical services in all of the cities. And some people have reported going to these places and never being charged and never being asked for their travel insurance information and walking out the door as a, as a pilgrim believing in the power of the magic of the Camino. Others have had to pay 25, 50, 100 euros for whatever services. And others, I, I have a pilgrim friend who ended up having, who had a heart attack and ended up in the hospital in Burgos. And Travel insurance was a good thing at that point. I think the important thing is to just know who will I talk to if something happens? And that would be your host first, or even uh, someone who's working at a bar would be able to 
they know where everything is in town. So do you recommend the travel insurance? I do. I think the important thing to know about travel insurance is that it covers many different things and you can buy what you need. So for example, travel insurance can cover reimbursing you for the cost of the trip if you have to cancel at the last minute for one of the reasons that's covered, or if you get sick on the way, or if you have to cut your trip short and come home, covers those kind of things, trip cancellation, trip interruption, and trip delay, meaning you missed a flight or this was delayed and that affected something else. Then there's also the medical coverage side of it. And the medical coverage side of it, you can check with your home carrier and find out what they cover overseas because it's possible you won't need too much of that. But ironically, that's the least expensive part of travel insurance is to just get a medical cover for whatever should happen. And then the third part of it is if something were to happen to you and you had to be transported home under medical supervision or worst case scenario, you're not going to come back alive, that's where it's really expensive. And that's called repatriation of remains for the extreme and then medical evacuation for something where you need medical supervision. And those are the pieces that I always get because I don't want to have to get stuck over in Spain because nobody has the funds to bring me home. And so that insurance will cover that if that were to happen. And I'll give you an example because I just bought travel insurance for my upcoming trip. And what I covered was the medical evacuation and repatriation of remains, a basic medical and dental coverage. And the dental, by the way, is emergency only up to about $500. And I got trip insurance and cancellation for only the things I've prepaid, which is only about $600. So my policy for 50 days was $147. Okay. And to me, that's worth it. <laughs> that's, I, I get travel insurance and flight cancellation insurance when I'm flying domestically. So yeah, I haven't spent too much time researching what the airlines offer because anytime you book a flight, they, they offer it to you as, a, as an add-on product. I've never bought it that way because I do know I'm going to need more coverage. So I wait to buy it when I buy my travel met, travel insurance policy. And that's probably very smart. I have recently bought travel insurance attached to my ticket. It didn't do anything. I had mm. to cancel my trip and it did absolutely nothing, nothing because there are so many restrictions that aren't disclosed. Yeah. The other thing to check is some credit cards have basic travel insurance coverage, things like cancellation, interruption, and delay, and lost baggage. It's a very broad field. So I sort of do a scan of what do I need, what's my credit card covered, if I remember to pay with the right credit card anyway, and then what what else do I need? And then the added little twist is the COVID stuff is to check and make sure that it covers if you have to cancel your trip at the last moment because you test positive for COVID. Does it cover that? And then the other one is, does it cover accommodations if you get COVID before you come home or while you're on your trip and you have to extend by five or 10 or whatever days because you can't fly 
when you test positive, does it cover those accommodations? And some and and some of those policies do cover all of that. Okay, a lot to look for. <laughs> it's a lot to look for. Yeah, it's absolutely a lot to look for. There is a a website that does a compare and contrast between all of the policies out there. It's called squaremouth.com. And I'll put that in the notes for the episode for our listeners. And I can send it to you, Kathy, also. Squaremouth. Yeah. And that'll just do across everything. Personally, I have been going with Seven Corners. I really like them, but I've never had a claim. So that's an important thing is I've, I've never had a claim, but my trick is when I'm considering a company for travel insurance, I come up with a question and I call customer service because how they handle my questions up front will at least give me an indicator of how they might handle something down the road. So if you call to ask a question and you get some loopy ding dong answer or someone who is not at all good at customer service or is unresponsive, I'd say keep looking. That's great advice for for anything. Thank you. Yeah. I picked that up a few years ago from one of the pilgrims in one of my groups. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. So do you have any other recommendations? I, I just feel like there's so much, there's so much to prepare for and there's so much to consider. Yeah. You started talking about lost baggage. Do you check bags when you go? I was planning on just taking my backpack and not checking because my biggest fear is to get to Spain and go, what do you mean you lost my bag? Going to the Camino, I have a couple of rules for my stuff. And that is that anything that I cannot do the trip without goes with me as a carry-on. So that means I wear my hiking boots or they go in the bag I'm carrying on because I cannot, I can't break in a pair of boots and have that work. Something I bought in Spain and not you know, I'm an American. We shop at REI. We test drive them. And then if they don't work, we take them back. You can't do that in Spain. So my hiking boots are either on my feet or always in my backpack on my back. The other essential item is the backpack itself. So I take the backpack on the plane with all my important, essential, valuable things. And I do check a bag because I always take toiletries that are over the limit. You know, I'm over 50. It takes extra stuff to make me look like I, you know, like I hope I look in reality. (laughs) (laughs) Zoom has this nice feature where, you know, it makes you all soft and fuzzy. But um, so I like to keep that illusion alive. Yeah, I like to keep the illusion alive. So I have extra, I have more lotions and potions than I used to when I was 40 when I first started walking the Camino. And then I take my trekking poles and I love my trekking poles. And it's hit or miss whether they can get through security at the airport. Some TSA agents won't, will just like, whatever. And some of them will make you take them out and get rid of them. So I check my trekking poles and I take, I always have some kind of a knife, whether it's a Swiss army knife or a little fold out knife that goes in the bag as well. And then in recent years, true confession, I don't travel light anymore. I use the luggage transport service along the way. And so I have an extra bag with whatever I want. I've got some cute shoes and I've got extra clothes and I've got more stuff than I really ever need. But when I travel super light, then my backpack goes with me and does not get checked. So that's interesting about the trekking poles though, because I wasn't planning on checking a bag 
and I was planning on buying all the toiletries there. I can't think of any other questions, but I'm certain as soon as we're done talking, I'm going to come up with You'll think of something. Well, you've got my email and I would love to join you on your journey in preparation for the Camino. If there's any questions I can answer, please let's keep in touch. Oh, absolutely. You've been such a wealth of knowledge and it feels so real. Uh, it just feels like it's really happening. It is really happening. It is really happening. So how about we close with this? If you could give one tip to a future pilgrim, someone who is just thinking about it, should I do this? Should I not do this? What tip would you give that, that pilgrim? Well, first I would say, yes, you absolutely should do that. If it's something that your heart wants, you should do it. And I think what I would say is ask a lot of different people for advice and research in a lot, but don't just follow one YouTube channel or one Facebook post or read one book. Look at a lot of different things because your experience is going to be completely different. And what works for these five people, it's not going to work for you. You know your body best and you know who you are and just take all the advice and just do what speaks to you and make it your own experience. And don't go expecting that you're going to have the same experience that I had or the same experience that Nancy had or your friend or even the last time, you, you know, anyone, anyone that you've talked to. That is such good advice. I was looking at the statistics when I was in Spain this year and it's almost... 2022 numbers have almost surpassed 2019 numbers for how many people have gotten the Compostela. In 2019, it was 347,000 about, and it's at about 330,000 right now. And I got to thinking, okay, so 350,000 people, what are the chances that they all had the same experience? They didn't, they couldn't have. So you're going to have your experience and everybody listening is going to have their experience and it will be unique and special just like you. I'm so excited. Well, I will look forward to our future conversations, Kathy. Well, I will definitely reach out with questions because I know I will. Please do. Keep you posted. And once I book my ticket, I will let you know. Excellent. Thank you for spending the time with me. This has been my pleasure. Thank you so much. No, pleasure is all mine, truly. You really fanned that flame that was already going. I am so ready. The hardest part of this whole trip is going to be waiting until next year. <laughs> that, that's probably the case. Well, if no one else has said it yet, let me be the first to wish you buen camino. Thank you. We have covered so much ground in this episode. I'm so grateful to Kathy for sharing with me about her upcoming Camino journey and for talking so candidly about her fears and intentions for her walk. I want to add one update. As I said, our conversation was recorded in early September, and at that time, the number of pilgrims who had received the Compostela for completing the Camino was around 
330,000. As this episode is going live, that number has climbed to over 380,000. And the season isn't over yet. You can follow the statistics on the website for the Pilgrim's Reception Office in Santiago. I'll put that link in the notes. Because this episode is a bit on the long side, I'm going to keep this episode's top tip short and sweet. The tip is a word you are definitely going to want to know, lavenderia, and where to find two of the best, most beautiful ones of all the Camino routes. A lavenderia is a laundromat where you can put all your dirty, stinky clothes in a machine and have them washed and then dried. At lavenderias along the Camino, the soap is provided. It's already in the machine. That's great news, as then you don't have to carry laundry soap with you. However, if you are sensitive to soaps and smells, you may need to find someplace else to do your wash, because some of them can be really strong. My two favorite laundromats are in Santiago and are run by a lovely Spanish man named Fernando. You may think I'm crazy to give a special mention to a laundromat, But no kidding, these two places are beautifully designed and decorated. If you're lucky enough to meet Fernando, you will likely discover that he speaks your language, plus four or five more. And you will see for yourself what a gem he is. I'll put the addresses for his two laundromats in the notes for this episode. And I will talk more about laundry in general in a future episode. That's it for this round. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you're finding it useful as you plan and prepare for your Camino, will you please help me spread the word? It's as simple as sharing it on your favorite social media platform, such as in your favorite Facebook group. Thank you, and I'll be back next week to talk about who is going with you on the Camino journey. Bye for now.